trooper, trooper, beams are gonna blind me, but I won't feel blue, like I always do, cause somewhere in the crowd there's For Act Dong Earthlets! My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox. This is the 58th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for December 1980, progs 189 to 192. This week, we'll go on the hunt with Strontium Dog, consult with Abelard Snaz, have the return of Walter, the Meltdown Man will split up, and space zombies will return to Armageddon. <sighs> a lot of stuff. Oh my, a lot of explosions and uh, bar fights and uh, gambling. That's right. That's why we're going to do all those things with Thrill One Strontium Dog. I want to go to New Vega. Totally, dude. Yeah, script robot for Strontium Dogs, Alan Grant. Art robots, Carlos Escara, lettering robots, Steve Potter. So yeah, so Johnny Alpha and Wolf, flush with cash from the Schickel Gruber grab, are headed out to the orbital resort of Vega to spend their hard-earned dough. It's the most beautiful ship. It's just sparkling. It's yeah, it's just like shining gold. Uh, along the way, they meet a trio of mutants from the mutant town of Milton Keynes. Which is honestly one of my favorite uh, British towns, just because it sounds like it's just a dude named Milton. <laughs> but it's a city you live in, anyhow. That's uh, a, all right, it's a real place. British town. Yeah, I had no idea. You know, not uh, uh, Nobby Clark is the best gambler from Milton Keynes, and he's gonna win a ton for the town. So the town sent a gambler get them out of a fucked situation yeah i just want i want everyone to really feel that out they pooled all their money and sent their best gambler (laughs) to the casino uh, spaceship to earn them money so they could like buy new roads and stuff i'm just saying that maybe there's a reason they're poor Ah, well also mutant racism there's only so much they can do i'm sure in terms of ways to get money you know we'll we'll see more about this town later anyhow (laughs) johnny and wolf have the world's greatest party montage. It's the greatest one I've ever seen. They they drink and they yep. gamble and they hit on ladies and they fight. And after they pay their bail at the local police station, they're ready to go do it all again. When um, they suddenly happen upon the lads from Milton Keynes getting beaten up by goons. Not great. It's uh, it's kind of screwed because two of them just die. Yeah, the two of them get beaten to death, and all their money is taken. Three hundred thousand credits. Um. So, to be the save, so to be the savior of Milton Keynes, Johnny gives the survivor all of his money, half a million credits, and Damn. goes to the evil gambler Fat Jacks to settle his hash. But how is he going to get all that money? Don't worry, Wolf's got you covered, yeah. despite not really wanting to give you his half. Borrows Wolf's half half million to as seed money for his gambling-based revenge. Oh my god. They burst into Fat Jack's casino. Johnny calls out Fat Jack's from across the room, and the two of them have a huge poker contest. 
it, it gets up to like eight million and a half credits. Yeah, it goes really well because since um, you know Fat Jack's used to just kind of fleecing tourists and stuff, while Johnny Alpha is a rough, tough strontium dog who reads people for a living. So he picks up every tell and just demolishes Fat Jack's, taking all of his money, yeah, getting the pot up to eight and a half million. So they decide to bet it all on the turn of a single card, which is just war basically right yeah it seems like it um johnny gets the second highest card only a dragon card could beat it and this causes jacks to freak out he accuses johnny of cheating and he pulls a blaster oh god i guess you better crack him right in the face yeah well they had to give their guns up at the door and like jacks is real angry with the blaster you got to do something so johnny punches him in the face so hard that he drives his nose that he drives fat jacks nose bone into his brain killing him awesomely yeah well um certainly less better ways to die (laughs) johnny has his revenge although ironically it turns out that fat jacks actually had the winning card Oh, you ding-dong. So, Johnny Alpha, in the coolest possible way, just dumps the poker table full of chips and money and stuff onto Fat Jax's corpse and strides out of there. Like, doesn't even keep a little of it. Like, a bunch of people are going to steal that money. Hey, he doesn't care. He's on to the next case. In this case, uh, they got they, they got to get a new job to pay for their way home, I guess. And oh, so, God. they're taking a bounty on a dude named Doc Quince. Let's get... We're on the case. (laughs) So, next up, Johnny and Wolf are on their way. Uh, We get some nice anti-mutant racism as they travel um, to this planet. As just a human couple on the spaceship they're traveling on refuse to eat with them. And, like, call Johnny Alpha a murderer because he's a bounty hunter. He's like, I killed some. I try not to kill many, though. They deserved that face full of ketchup that both gave them and their bitches. Absolutely. Them. Yeah. So the boys arrive on, on at Wilderness 4, the planet, and get to work, arresting the only doctor at the small town of Fever Creek. The, uh, the townsfolk are unhappy, and the doc says it's a trumped-up charge, but the Strons are skeptical, and they're just doing their jobs. They'll... Yeah, I mean, like, it's... I don't know. They, they're very violent about them not liking this situation well i mean we kind of i mean the, the first thing is that the strong team dogs are are obvious or you know johnny and johnny and wolf are obviously skeptical because i'd imagine everybody they try to take in says something along these lines oh absolutely um they they dropped out quince in the jail and that night a big um like lynch mob lynch forms mob. to basically oh, kill them so they don't come back um, but unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess for our guys, the townsfolk are no match for a pair of strong team dog who basically beat every, beat the whole town up and say anybody else that comes after us will be, will, uh, be killed basically. Dude, so. a guy comes up from behind Johnny Alpha with a bat and is about to hit him, but because Johnny sees people with his brain waves. Mm-hmm. He just turns around and sticks a gun in his mouth, and he's like, so I'm going to disintegrate you unless you just drop that. <laughs> Absolutely. <I'm> like, oh, <laughs> <God."> <laughs> um, so the townsfolk decide to go do an end around and said they head to the jail where Doc Quince is being held and convince the sheriff to let them take him. Yeah, the next day, Johnny and Wolf find Quince is missing, and they hear the, sh- the sad story from the sheriff about how Doc Quince saved the whole town when they were gripped with with a crater fever and that's why this town is called like fever creek basically because doc quinn saved everybody johnny johnny's sympathetic but he's got a job to do 
They follow their tracer to a distant farm. A gun battle is about to start when Quint surrenders. He, along with his wife, Rubella, will come along peacefully. Which, you know, maybe he's not such a bad guy. I mean, it's a piece and such. Yeah, it definitely, we're definitely getting a very noble picture of Doc Quince at this point, which is doesn't quite square with the fact that he's wanted for treason on some alien planet. But anyhow. Speaking of noble, and yeah. cold cut straight to some brutal murder. <laughs> yeah. I just want to say that, that the townsfolk are angry about this, and Johnny's getting a very conflicted look on his face. But yeah, we, uh... We cut to where the bounty is, is, is due on the planet Mkel, or Mskel, I should say, which is a backwards, techno-archaic planet ruled by an obviously insane king. Like, yeah, big, big crazy, like the bad kind of movie crazy king. <laughs> He's just shooting at people who work for him for yeah, fun. Exactly, yeah, bad definitely. Work. Yeah, Joffrey on steroids. Uh, so... <laughs> So uh, uh, it's to this planet that Johnny and Wolf are returning uh, Doc Quince. It turns out that Quince fell in love with the queen's with the, with the king's only daughter, uh, his wife Rubella, and was arrested and jailed for treason because of it. He's since escaped, and you know this king guy is obviously like a mad tyrant, and the guys are getting worried that maybe they backed the wrong horse in this particular situation. Not much they can do. These guys are a part of the intergalactic council of. Holding hands or some shit. Yeah, big Galactic Federation thing. Um, yeah, yeah. On the planet, the king has Rubella taken away and prepares to have Quince executed, but under the rules of that governing body, Johnny demands that uh, Quince be tried first. The king agrees, and we also learn that the method of execution on this planet is for people to stand under a big scaffold and a huge boulder is dropped on them. It's horrible. So, the trial is held, but it's obviously a farce. Like, the king is the judge and just kind of says, like, all right, here's the case. You're guilty. The sentence is death. This is breaking every rule of the Galactic Convention, and the Strontium Dogs are pissed about it. Basically, Johnny and Wolf decide that it's time to make things right. Wolf, go get the girl. I'm going to stop the execution. Oh, hell yeah. Next time Damn on... good Strontium Dogs. Yeah, next time on Strontium Dog, blat. <laughs> but yeah, I man, I like... There's good world building, there's good action, there's just Stronti- There's just a Johnny Alpha being a huge badass. Um, like, also getting just a sense of what it's like to be like an interstellar like bounty hunter and stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I like that it's leading in from the previous, like, multi-part story. Yeah, it's, right? de- yeah, it's definitely, Everything's like... Everything's contextual. Yeah, this is definitely a, a, a very cool sort of, like, here's the, you know, one story leads to another, leads to another, instead of just sort of straight-up episodes, which, you know, yeah, I definitely appreciate this just as a storytelling device, you know? It's cool when you can sort of create a timeline of how these different things go together. Yeah, it gives you more of a sense of, like, day in the life, which is... Like, these guys are super down-to-earth and super great while still at the same time being, like, basically Han Solo and Chewbacca, you know? <laughs> They're like Han Solo, Chewbacca, and a third guy, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and the and the conscience once you need it. Right. That, that's a, I found that funny, like, Gronk just wasn't at the gambling hall. Yeah, it seems like they don't always take him with him because sometimes, like, you know, things are too exciting for his heartses so he can't really get involved in a big night of, like, drinking and, and fighting and stuff, you know? Uh, and I'll be honest, I want nothing terrible to happen to the Gronk. Yeah, be nice. the hell away from, like, Bill Savage. <laughs> be nice to the Gronk, guys. 
Yeah, he's super great. God, I love the Gronk. It's all it's all good. Hey, speaking of uh, favorite things, Fox. Yeah. It's time for one of my favorite things. <laughs> Thrill two, Rojas Robo Tales. This like the name of this one made me kind of uncomfortable. That's true. So the story is called Final Solution. That's that's <laughs> a, that's just we're just gonna have to deal with that. Um. Script Which, ro- <laughs> and, it, and it's not even on like that level anyway, nah, please. Yeah. Sorry. So script robots Alan Moore, art robots Steve Dillon, letting robot Mark II, uh, letting robot is the Aldrich Mark II all-star cast here. Um, so, this is a couple up-and-comers doing my fav- one of my favorite ever Future Shocks. The planet Twop, Fox, is full of crime. Some, <laughs> some city elders go to find a solution for it at Think Inc., Along the way, they're mugged at least three times. It's great. Like, everyone they talk to or pass takes at least some stuff from them, including, like, the receptionist and the elevator operator (laughs) of the building. It's like, everybody's a thief. Even kind of the, oh, God, creepy face guy. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of thievery going on. So along their way, they finally get to the office of Abelard Snaz, the man with the two story brain. And when they say that, they mean like you take where his eyes and brow are, and then you put an eyes and brow right above his eyes and brow. Yeah, he's a mutant supermind. He's got two sets of eyes, one above each other, and he's ultra smart. He's asked to find a solution to the crime problem, and after drinking his Think Drink, which is a Syrian sentient milkshake that's like, no, please don't drink me. Oh, he's got it. He's got a plan, Fox. He sees robots. Big oh, robots. That's- that's big, awesome. big, big police jobs. robots. Oh, fuck yeah, big jobs. They quickly build a fleet of giant police robots to wander the planet in enforcing the law. Hello, hello, what's all this then? But soon, all crime is eradicated, but the cop bots still have arrest quotas to make, so now they're arresting people for, like, playing checkers incorrectly or wearing brown shoes with a blue suit which breaks the laws of fashion. That's so great. So what do you do with, like, people just getting arrested for petty crimes? Man, I have no idea, but I know someone who does. Oh, shit, that's great. He's the smart one. Hey, what's all this here, then? Robo-police are arresting everybody. What's to be done? Abelard Snaz has a plan. He sees robots. Big robots. Big criminal robots. Oh my god, big jobs, the criminal big jobs. The criminal robots will go out, they'll do crimes, and then the police robots can arrest them, and it's a perfect circle. Oh yeah. But the problem is that, I guess these two big robots are pretty evenly matched, so now there's just a bunch of giant robots rampaging around playing cops and robbers all over the city. So. We're doing big jobs. What's to be done, Fox? Just everybody's being, arre- being um... Being having crimes committed on them, and then the cops are blasting through walls, arresting them and stuff. So you know, I I'd say third time's a charm, right? Why absolutely. not robots? Third street. Yeah. So yeah, Snaz has a new plan. He sees robots, little robots, little victim robots. They'll just be robots, and then the criminal robots will do crimes on them, and then the police robots can arrest them, and it's real good. Problem is that now this whole plant's full of robots doing stuff. <laughs> so the human people of TWAP have to evacuate the planet. Sorry, we got too many robots. No. 
aboard the colony ships. Abelard Snaz has a new plan. He sees robots, a big robot planet. But uh, the counselors have an idea too, and they dump Abelard Snaz into deep space in a spacesuit. Oh my god. I see air cylinders. I see empty air cylinders. I see oxygen starvation. I see a slow and painful death. Man, I love Abelard Snaz. <laughs> Dude. So, real talk time, mm-hmm. right? This guy is assisted by a robot mm-hmm. pretty much whenever he wants. Yeah, total yes man robot. It's excellent. <laughs> and all of his ideas are to build robots. This robot's making all the drinks, right? Mm hmm. Edwin. And suddenly, the whole planet's taken over by robots. Oh! Maybe. This can... was just a massive scheme for robots to finally get their own planet case solved. You know, I'm surprised that you'd point out a, a, a nefarious robot conspiracy, Fox. It seems like it's against your better interests, but well, I, I do have to agree. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what the fuck are you talking about? Exactly. Yeah, man. But yeah, I love Abelard Snaz. Um, this is, you know, Alan Moore is going to start out doing a bunch of future shocks. This is one of the, fir- you know, this is like his second one, I think. And ooh, it's just so good. And it's not, it's not a dumb twist worthy it's just no nah, it's just a fun thing weird? with sort of a fun punchline yeah. at the end yeah abelard snaz will return don't worry what yeah all right <laughs> don't worry Damn. about it um hey speaking of things returning fox yeah I'm gonna mix things up a little bit with thrill three mean arena oh man we only got a few mean arenas this month. It's basically half the progs are are the are are, uh, are snaz and half the progs are uh, mean arena this month. So sc- script robots Tom Tully, art robots John Richardson, lettering robot Peter Knight. Mean arena is back. We see a testing session for some new street football technology, like a oh, ram suit, which would allow somebody just to headbutt straight through walls and stuff. The problem is that's kind of got this side effect where you use it and then it implodes your body and just sort of uh, like all your face bones, crush. yeah, just sort of turn to pulp and stuff. You know, back back to the drawing board. We're gonna need another, uh, some more uh, test subjects. That's all. It, who was that? Was it a Tick character or a Marvel villain that was like a bullet guy? It's like Bullet Head or something. I, um, there's been a couple Bullet Heads out there. I think in, probably in both, honestly. But yeah, these guys was, need need more like Bullet Head technology, to be honest. It uh, it was gruesome and horrible. Because like, you know, in X-Men, or I guess in New Mutants or whatever, there's that guy Cannonball. And Cannonball's nigh and vulnerable when he's blasting. But these guys, nah, they, they get their bones pulverized. Because <laughs> it's just a regular person. Yeah. This weird tiny man in a fucked up chair and like tubes coming out of yeah, him. Yeah, Mis- like, Mr. Hardy, genius de- um, developer of street football things. Yeah, he's like a, he's in a wheelchair, he's got an arm missing, he's got a bunch of tubes going in and out of him. But apparently he's also a super rich street football guy and so matt talon approaches him to sponsor the slayers using and hardy hardy accepts i should mention um (laughs) using their influence between the two of them they challenge the division one team the southampton sharks which talon wants revenge on to a like friendly match basically and we're not really sure like so through this he's like he he mentions that he wants this this payment towards the Slayers and all this other stuff, 
He's like, yeah, I'll market your product for you because it's going to boost your sales and all this shit. And he does this weird commercial, but it's not really explained why until... Well, it's like, like oh. it's like a couple days later, there, there's there's like a press conference basically announcing yeah. both this sponsorship and the friendly match, which includes, they bring out an inflatable dummy of Jaws Jensen, the lead scorer for the Southampton Sharks, and the guy Talon has specifically sw- sw- sworn revenge against. Talon, like, destroys the inflatable version, like, as just sort of a show of, like, yeah, we're the best, we're gonna be good, but then the actual Jensen shows up, and it's like, yeah, I tried with the real one, blah, blah, blah. And then some babes hang off of Talon for a second while he's like, you suck, and then the other guy's like, I'm gonna get you. That's sort of the top, like, yeah, it's sort of, one prog of Mean Arena ends with um, Jensen with the balloon thing, and then Jensen sort of threatening Talon. And then, in sort of Tom Tully fashion, the first page of the next Mean Arena is, 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 is a recap of this from a slightly different perspective. But, um... Yeah. With, and this time it involves babes and stuff. <laughs> but, so Ta- Talon re- responds to Jensen's um, challenge by throwing a suction cup harpoon straight at Jensen's head. He's really Gosh, riling up Jensen. that shark man. So, Gum Jensen, king of the blubbermen. Exactly. Really offensive, I guess. Yeah, man. Really, you know, that'd be really insulting if someone calls you a gum instead of jaws. If you've had your teeth manually sharpened to be sharp like sharks' teeth. Maybe that wasn't a good life choice. You, you can't tell these future sport guys not to have shark-themed stuff. That's what I've learned from 2000 AD. <laughs> so. Meanwhile, Mike Slater, the owner of the uh, of the t- of of Slater Slayers, the team Talon's on, is pissed because he doesn't want his his because he knows that Talon doesn't care about like crowds or winning. He just wants revenge, and he's kind of conflicted about that until his tirade is stopped by Mister Hardy, who's basically like, "Hey, so like your uh, your street football team's looking pretty crappy there. Do you guys need a new everything?" <laughs> the answer is yes. And the answer is yes. So Hardy sort of drives home in his new like team liner, kind of being like, "Oh, do I really want this blood money? This blood shiny new team equipment and stuff?" The Meanw- answer is yes. Yes, absolutely. Meanwhile, a section of Southampton is being evacuated to become a mean arena field. People are being generously complicated. Or are being generously compensated, but an old couple at a newsagent's refuse to move. Next time, if any street football comes in here, he gets both barrels. The man and the wife look exactly the same. <laughs> I I wonder if this is like like man. It'd be really funny if this is actually like some um like actual newsagent that like John Richardson knew when he was a kid or something like that. You just hate him. Put yeah, him on there. Something I don't know. I just think it's kind of a funny, like yeah, they're very realistically drawn. That makes me feel like it's a reference to something. So I don't know. Damn, like I got yeah, maybe. But yeah, just to, this is just kind of a setup. Mean Arena um, outing, you know, no sports played, not a lot of you mean like, like real every action mean and stuff. Arena? Like ninety percent. I mean, I don't want to get into this. They do some anyway. stuff in Mean Arena, but yeah. Anyway, let's let's get back to the meat of the matter, Fox. <laughs> Or, I guess, let's... Ins- or, wait, actually, maybe things are getting too excited, so it's time to take a pit stop, and let's do that with Thrill 4, Judge Dread. I see what you did there. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing my, was- my best out here. <laughs> mm. So, script robots for Judge Dread this month are out, are 
Alan Grant on his own, writing as Alvin Gaunt, and Alan Grant and Alan Grant and John Wagner writing as TB Grover. The art robots are Ron Smith and Ian Gibson, uh, drawing as Emberton, and that's a new um, artist on this, uh, on a Judge Dredd, and the letter robot is a Tom Frame. Oh, yeah, Tom, Always. So, we know that Mega City 1 has these huge highways, right? They're, they're massive, they're full of, like, commuters, they build prisons in, like, traffic circles in the middle of the highways. <laughs> There's huge. even millions of Mega City 1 citizens that just live in mobile homes that are constantly on the move driving around the highways and byways. Mm-hmm. To service all of these cars, all of these people on the roads of Mega City One, we have Big Mo, a giant mobile service station, one of many presumably, that provide all the services that a car needs, a garage, a gas station, rest area for people. It's even got a car dealer for people to buy new cars, all going at 200 miles an hour. It just looks like a giant like red spider that travels down the road like if you need help it like picks you up and tosses you into a service bay and stuff or like you pull alongside it and it does like mid-air refueling and stuff it's super duper awesome it's like a giant red bullet of awesome speed just fuck god it's like a hundred times the size of a car yeah it's really neat and it sort of opens with a vignette vignette of like a couple on the road and almost out of gas and the and the and like one of them's like, all right, by putting a big mo request, they should be by soon to fill us up or whatever. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> in this peaceful thing of future economics comes a the Road Rash Two, a car programmed to win at a demolition derby. It goes haywire and crashes directly into Big Mo's guidance system. Dude, it's super awesome. Like the car itself is just like. It's just really intent on just destroying all things while the guy who's driving it just ejects like, oh, fuck, this thing's nuts. Yeah, he sort just of hit, continues to watch yeah. the carnage in the air. Yeah, he hits the silk and just sort of in the ejector seat, yeah, watches all of the following stuff uh, unfold. It's <laughs> awesome. So, big, so Road Rash takes over Big Mo and turns it into a giant engine of destruction. Oh, God, it's so cool. <laughs> Luckily, Dread is on the case. Seeing that the mechanics that are trying to fix the vehicle have been killed by smashing into a low overpass, Dread oh. does a sensible thing where, where he has everybody evacuate the Big Mo and then challenges the machine to a race. It gets really great. Yeah, there's a, just a huge chase of Mo of, of Big Mo, this huge vehicle with all these arms and stuff, like reaching out and trying to grab Dread as Dread drives super fast on his Lawmaster and stuff. Oh it, Big Mo's gaining on Dread, threatening to get him with his grabber claws, when suddenly Dread stops and Big Mo's momentum carries it over the side of an overpass, off the side of a highway, and sending it plummeting two miles down to the surface. To the surface. I love, I love the way they frame this shot where Judge Dread is angled in such a way that you can see the car falling to the ground, but he is on a different 
like I guess yeah, like I don't know piece like of road incline. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And so he's talking sideways while the car is talking upright because the car is plunging towards Earth. Yeah, it's super awesome. So the guy that was driving the car that was driving the road rash in the first place has landed at the bottom of the city and is like, "Whoa, that was a ridiculous <laughs> turn of events." What will happen next when suddenly the big, big big Mo comes crashing down on him and the whole thing explodes? Whoops. And it, there's a fun artistic thing where like the whoop sound effect of Mo crashing is made out of like metal and car parts and stuff like that. So awesome. It's neat, man. So on the next one, on the Jack Elam Expressway, alien hitmen are knocking guys off with some kind of fear gun. Dread. It's kind of just a cool concept. Yeah, it's an awesome like like weapon. Dreads on the case, and the clues quickly lead him to the F. Lloyd Masney housing scheme. I gotta say, because everything's named after like 20th century celebrities in um, in Mega City One, I spent like five minutes looking up F. Lloyd Mansey, but in fact, it's not actually a historical character. <laughs> Um, oh, all right then. It's a giant housing development built by a guy named F. Lloyd Mans- uh, uh, Masney, which I assume is a F. F. Lloyd Wright reference. Um, but it was built. It was a development built to hold two million people. But soon after it was completed, all the signs in it were completely destroyed by vandals, making it an impenetrable maze that no one can find their way in easily. And now home only to derelicts and lost souls. It's just so amazing. Like, just, just the description and time they put into this place. It's is, just this massive, like, maze-like building full of, like, odd angles and curlicues and other kind of weird stuff like that. It's beautiful. The alien hitmen get lost immediately, but not so lost they can't be found by Judge Dredd. Oh, yeah. I'm going to shoot your friend in the face. Yeah. Well, they cause big accidents and stuff. They kill lots of people. Oh, yeah, man. The fear gun's pretty neat, man, because it's like a a flamethrower almost, but what it shoots out is the thing you're most afraid of, whether it's spiders or, like, scissors or needles or something like that. It's, man, it's neat. It's a fear thrower. Yeah. A stream of giant needles causes the... Got the judge that's assisting Dread to cower in fear and fall off the side of a ledge. <laughs> Dread shows down with the alien assassin and and uh, takes him out, but not before Dread gets hit by the fear gun and mm. nothing happens because Dread oh. isn't afraid of nothing. Oh shit, man! That's that's so cool. <laughs> that's the best thing ever. He's like, yeah, so what? Yeah, that's the. Every once in a while, that they have Batman do that, where like he gets hit by like Scarecrow's gas and just nothing happens because he's the goddamn Batman. But not (laughs) always. For Dread, I feel like that should always happen. Just like, yeah, no, you're preying on my psychological weaknesses. I'm Judge Dread. I don't got those. Yeah, man, he's the perfect judge. Yeah, more of a machine than a man. Next up, <laughs> at home for dinner, Dread chokes on some Indian kui that Walter has made. It's uh, pretty bad. Apparently, uh, Walter uh, is freaking out because some robots no. at the Langeuette has got have gone missing. <laughs> there are some robot thieves around, ah! which means that it's time for Dread to use Walter as a decoy. <laughs> he doesn't even adhere to his own rules. There are like three different GRs that he doesn't W. I mean, ends, ending an R's is tough to do with the list. That's what I want to say. 
Fitted with a twacer, Walter and his friend Quanky walk into the mean streets uh, and are quickly picked up by some Dwight nappers. <laughs> Dwed follows the twacer until the signal disappears. The thieves' hideout is shielded. They're wiping the robots' brains and reprogramming them, or reprogramming them, for the black market. I don't know how to say that one. Uh, luckily, <laughs> luckily, Walter has a plan. He serves, that's another one, I don't know if you can do that one in the, wall, in, uh, in the thing, but he serves coffee to the wobo-nappers, but one of them, uh, one of them reacts poorly to it, he runs outside to wetch, which allows Dwed to find the Twacer. <laughs> the judges soon arrive and save Walter. Hooray! <laughs> it turns out that Walt put one of those Koei tablets from the beginning of the story into like the synth calf, and that makes Dwed almost feel bad for the lob waker. So whatever, he was useful once. No one cares. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh man, I love the Walter lisp just because I know Fox hates it so much. I hate Walter so much. <laughs> whatever, Looney's Moon. Get to the next one. <laughs> exactly. So, anyhow, <laughs> two nights each week in Mega City One from 9 p.m. to midnight, a Mega City One company uses lasers to project advertisements on the moon. Which I guess is like a business. I mean, it's something. You gotta advertise somewhere. People own billboards and stuff. Um, <laughs> but they advertise like commercials. They do Jumbotron special personal messages. All kinds of stuff. And it seems like it, it can be fun, but people are mostly pissed about it. There's a pretty fun thing where they show um, like a rich couple. And it's like, you know, like happy anniversary to my wife, of, you know, May, May Jug. And then a bunch of people looking at the moon, like at Lover's Lane. And they're all like, screw you, May Jug, you're stupid. It's, it's really exactly what would happen. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, it, it's true. So... It's also really pissing off a religious cult called the Loonies, which have some ridiculous robes and sharp knives and a plan to show their lunar devotion. Yeah, it, uh, it becomes a little fatal. Mm. Meanwhile, a mother and father go to the Justice Department looking for their lost son. They get tossed around the Justice Department bureaucracy. Um, Which is amazing. It's pretty, Everyone just offloads it to sigh. Yeah. Well, they just yeah. They basically they like talk to Dread. Dread's like go to go to Justice Central. They, they go there. Justice Central is like go to Psy. So they at Psy Division. One of their psychics uses their kid's knee pad to figure out where he is. Rubs it on his face and brain. This is really the first time they bring up the fact that everybody in Mega City One wears knee pads and no one really talks about it. But I think yeah. it's a fun, fun running joke. Um, yeah, but so he rubs the knee pad on his head, determines that the kid is at the Looney Temple. They uh, dread is dispatched to stop by to check it out, but it just seems like it's a wild goose chase. The kid's not there; he's out doing something. But it turns out that he's actually, or sorry, as Dread leaves Looney Temple, he sees projected on the moon on the moon projector a bunch of loonies attacking the moon projector oh system. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, the whole thing's being broadcast on the moon. Dread and several other judges roll in and clean house at the projector uh, uh, center. A kid, the kid from the knee pad, was kill is killed in the process because that's just sort of how things go in Judge Dread stories. Yeah. Yeah. 
The rest of the Moonies are rounded up, and we see that Dredd has horrible handwriting as a temporary service inter- inter- interruption is projected <laughs> on the moon. It's amazing. Next time on Judge Dredd, the Fink's in town. Oh, shit. Let's move on to non-thrills. Covers, nerve centers, posters, and dash decent. Uh. Yeah. Prague 189. Ron Smith documents the Megway Demolition Derby. Also, this Prague came out two days after I was born. Birthday, Prague. Oh, (laughs) shit. Happy birthday to you, Conrad. Yeah, happy birthday. Yeah, big up to uh, to baby Conrad. Who know great and terrible things lie before him. <laughs> <laughs> so in uh, Dash Decent gets his gets his skin back. He punches out Pong's daughter Afolia and saves Dale, the uh, the uh, lady cab driver uh, chick, from one of those blade pendulum things. Only seconds after it's cut her in half a couple times. Anyhow, let's head home. Yeah, he was naked in this comic once. Mm-hmm. It's time for a new contest, Fox. You can win a future flight, a flying saucer with electronic lights and junk. It's an extremely pimped-out space spinner. I must have one! It's, I mean, it's cool, I guess, but the original space spinner is, you know, it's so classic. So. You can't beat the simplicity, Whatever. you know? But yeah. yeah. In the Nerve Center, Tharg the Victorious lets us know about his various hobbies, including space yachting, Meanwhile, Christopher Evans of Wrexham converts the old uh, Deck of Cards prayer into a 2000 AD-themed prayer, and I think that's really awesome. Someone owes this kid an extra seven pounds, because that's a ten-pound letter. Boom. If you ask me. Prog 190, we're gonna hang you, Alpha, hang you high. (laughs) A typically sweet Strontium Dog cover by Carlos Escara. Hell yeah, buddy. You're doing your fucking beautiful work. Absolutely, yeah. In the Nerve Center, Albert Thargstein tells us about the big full-color Meltdown Mound map that's gonna be, that's in Prog 190. And several readers worry that the raw thrill power of the Progs will negatively affect human life. Uh, what? What do you know? These guys, they're worried about the thrill circuits. Dash Decent and company return to Earth, but their ship is sabotaged by the evil Pong. Now it will crash to Earth, killing all of them, including Pong. Do Great. Oh, great. Yes. (laughs) Prog 191. Ian Gibson's excellent talents are wasted on a Walter the Robot-based dread cover. I hate you, Walter. <laughs> this week, there's a maze-based contest to win a ridiculous set of Klaus costumes based on the robots from the movie Black Hole. I love Which... these costumes so much, I just want to see a bunch of 80s kids running around in these crazy, ridiculous, like, Lord Buckethead style <laughs> of robot Which... costumes. I, I mean, they know that this movie, like, half the cast goes to hell. I mean, spoilers yeah. or whatever. Don't worry. You know, it's still basically a kids' movie. Don't don't worry about it. <laughs> but Buckethead was the hell monster. Mm. Tharg Alpha tells us about the Xmas Christmas poster that is going to be a next prog, and this one has an Attackers poster. Tharg also reveals that his favorite band is Captain Beefheart. Other letters okay. demand a uh, a Howard writing droid Mark II. 
Um, and at least, but Tharg is like, nah, we're just going to go with the TV Grover bot. Don't worry about it. At, at yeah. least, at least 58 readers are unhappy with the Agro Dome Dread story, and other readers are super. And while some readers are excited that they got a Dread T-shirt, others are pissed that they didn't get a Dread T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, well, they I mean that's sucks yeah. to be you. Exactly. Yeah, people just didn't like in the Agro Dome story that like. Um, Dread didn't call for backup, and he just sort of jumped through hails of bullets without being hurt and stuff. It's sort of a, a good precursor of things that nerds will dislike to have a reason to dislike action movies in the future. <laughs> you know what I mean? Crap. Um, it's all crap. Yeah. Anyhow, um, Dash Decent pauses momentarily as they get a note from Tharg to be funnier. And this yeah. this kind of meta-narrative would be kind of cool and funny if Dash Decent was actually funny in the first place. As yep. it is, it's kind of lampshading a essential problem with the comic. I um, mean, to me, it's just writing on the wall. See you never, Dash Decent. Yeah, it's Best. definitely a, uh, it's definitely like protesting too much, if you ask me. There's also a cool Johnny Alpha poster in this thing, which is apparently is part of a campaign that was going on with a bunch of IPC comics, where it was a, it was a like a four part poster where Johnny's the bottom left part of the poster, then the other parts are in Tiger, Roy of the Rovers, and Battle. This seems like a very cool idea to me, I guess. Um, though I was unable in, in in searching to find the other three parts to see what it sort of added up to. Fucking surprise. I mean, you know, these these are forty year old comics. They get lost, you know. Roy of the Rovers, don't know them. Well, because the theme is the attackers, so you'd imagine you have Roy as like a forward on the Rovers being in there too, because he's an attacker just in a soccer context. I mean, yeah. Yeah, in Prog one ninety two, Splundig Ver Ho Ho Ho, Santa Thug. Really on that one, guys. <laughs> he's got gifts for us of dread, Johnny and Wolf. Nick Stone and Matt Talon for us. It's uh, real gifts. Those yeah. are actual gifts. The art is all by uh, Carlos Escara, and he draws a very stainless steel rat-looking Matt Talon, if you ask me. Agree. After a huge response for the Dread Annual, Tharg is also now selling the 2000 AD Annual, which is kind of less good, directly through the Prague, which I think is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, Dash, Dash uh, Decent and Co.'s ship has crashed on a planet of chicken people, called the Nestin Super Lair, which uh, is a joke. Nazi shit happens. Yeah, well, I just want to say that th that that joke, the Nestin Super Lair joke, I did not get at all. It was completely over my head. Um, so I, I went to Twitter, and I asked our uh, our Twitter followers to explain the joke to me. And, yeah, so what is it? And, and big ups to, uh, to Mweeg, the Mega City Book Club, and Steve Lacey of the Fantastic Cast Podcast, who all explained to me that this is a reference to English resort town of Weston Supermare. Okay. So, Neston Superlair, that's a last resort uh, joke because it's a reference to the resort town of Weston Supermare. Anyhow, uh, Pong brainwashes Zelami into being a slave, very Nazi style with like the you know the Roman salute and stuff. Uh, Dash and Dale are stripped of their clothes, and the comic ends with a plea to fill out comment cards saying that you love Dash decent. Nope. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. Like I'm, I'm sure people are working hard, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's you know. 
Meanwhile, in the nerve center, Tharg heads off on vacation, and Paul Smith of Maidstone writes in with some terrible 2080 puns, like, which enforcer works at a bakery? A judge bread. Another reader drops some Beetlejuice knowledge on Tharg, who demands to hear facts about his home planet of Quaxon, though I checked, and apparently since... Beetlejuice is like a supernova planet. It, it, it probably doesn't have planets anymore. Anyhow. <laughs> oh, no! Yeah. At the end of the prog, there is a section of things to come in 81. We'll talk about this a little bit more next episode, but it includes stuff like uh, Prog 200, Dan Dare being on TV, Nemesis as a series, The Return of Judge Death, and something called Project X, which could literally be anything, but I'm pretty sure is Rogue Trooper. <laughs> all right yeah you know just more letters more stuff good to keep an eye out on it i think yeah just keep I mean, it i'm not interested in when fucking dan dare gets a tv show it's good because he doesn't anyhow oh my god <laughs> anyhow speaking of incredible uh interstellar adventures and like animal people fox Thrill Five Meltdown Man. Whew. Script robot for Meltdown Man, Alan Hebden, art robot Masmo Bellardinelli, lettering robot Jack Potter. So Things Lish- continue to become awesome. Yeah, man, you know, Lishar is in control of the big capital city. He outlaw he outlines his plan to rebuild it as a terrifying comp- police state complete with hardcore accelerated breeding programs bounce chicka wow wow hey man he needs more predators it's true yeah lishar thinks stone is dead and while king seth knows otherwise he's keeping it to himself time to take a nap yeah meanwhile the party hunts for foods and plans their next move a plan forms so like they've got these snip guns right fox they cut things in half and they're super awesome but they yeah. only they they require a human fingerprint to fire. So if we're gonna have a rebellion, we're gonna get need to get some weapons for all the UGs. Luckily, some, God D and D is fuck. I'm just. <laughs> Luckily, um, Nick Stone has managed to sketch up an easy to build rendition of an AK-47. Uh. We just need some dudes to build them. Well, that's because he rolled a natural twenty on fucking his knowledge of weaponsmithing oh he's got like a plus eight that's like a favored skill that, that that's a favored skill for him in a class that's all, in and and uh and that skill also relates to an attribute that he that's a main one for his class and stuff you can make, <laughs> make him you make D references sort of exposing oh, the business here oh um, so <laughs> please be my dungeon master again <laughs> Whoa. Okay. So, anyhow, Liana suggests. <laughs> Was that sexual? <laughs> Liana suggests that she and Stone go to the Gorilla Smiths in a city far to the west, while T Bone uh, and Gruff head to their respective races as homelands to rally them as troops. It's a combination. In cutaways that can only be rivaled by bad video game RPGs. <laughs> I mean, this stuff is literally like the first Dragon Age. <laughs> like, Dude. All I'm saying is is that clearly Hebden and Bellardinelli are like, they're bros and fucking like D&D is a huge thing. And they're like, well, how can we make a D&D thing? That's not true, man. This is 1980. This is like all this got all the other all the D&D and stuff steals from this. (laughs) God, that's the that's the timeline. That's the timeline, bro. That's what I'm trying to say. 
the timeline is that this is that this was in 1980 like D&D is just a bunch of is just like played by dudes in one garage in Wisconsin at this point (laughs) I mean maybe they've really got their finger on that wisconsin pulse it's it's publication 1974 original date 1977 for first bait okay we're getting off topic but whatever i'm right i think (sighs) whatever bro i'm i i just (laughs) i just want to say that that while it is kind of D &D, it's so absolutely dragon age like it's not even funny Um, percent accurate but so t-bone you know, his people are the Minotaur Vatmen that are these super tough, ultra-disciplined guys, whereas Gruff is a member of this of these brigands of just sort of the dregs of UG society. So it's like, you know, tough, um, main, tough, like, uh, core, and then a uh, billion, like, um, nothing-to-lose skirmishers. Oh, it's just a cool military force. <laughs> Secret orders all around, like Mason bulls and mm-hmm. bandits and, and uh, anarchist, anarchist, just sort of catch-alls. <laughs> it's great. So it looks like a plan. When suddenly the predators attack! Oh God! There's tiger people everywhere. Yeah, Meltdown Man gets um, the prime middle Prague location in in Prague 190. Oh, Right, color the, map. Yeah, the attacking predators are quickly taken down by De- Nick's deft hand with a snip gun. He just like straight up just like takes one shot and takes down two uh, trailers full of predator troops. Our guys, yeah, it's super, super duper awesome. Our guys are safe, but it's time to split up and we get a map of the world. It looks very cool. It also looks uh, familiar, Fox. You'll see. Despite their constant fighting. Like- is it like Britain? No. Despite their constant fighting, Liana and Gruff are sad to be separated. But the plan is on. Lishar investigates that lost patrol, realizes that Stone is still alive. They call in their best trackers, a pair of bloodhound UGs, to find the human. King Seth is worried because his deception has been revealed. Oh my god. T-Bone and Gruff have traveled together for a bit, but now split up as T-Bone gets aboard the monorail and to meet with the Minotaur Batman. The monorail is used by human and Yuji alike, though naturally it's segregated and humans are super assholes about it. <laughs> T-Bone is now radicalized to be anti-human, but sort of swallows that for now, instead just helping an anteater lady get up some stairs because she's denied use of the elevator despite being a frail old anteater lady. He's real sweet. He's a good guy. Yeah, old totally. Old. Yeah. Meanwhile, the trackers have managed to find Gruff, but he's a fast traveler, running 20 miles an hour all day long. The what? Good. <laughs> I had some dog facts. So I learned that, uh, like, the way that, like, uh, racing sled dogs work is that mm-hmm. they the way in which they convert fat allows them to go for longer distances, which is why, apparently if they do successive races they actually perform better interesting so i believe this someone knew about some dogs yeah i mean it's just a cool thing to say of just like you know here's this wolf that can run forever (laughs) yeah man so the bloodhounds give chase traveling by night as well as day finally they catch up to gruff but their hunger for his fresh cooked rabbit gives them away it's a fight 
Uh, so let's throw some fire in a dude's face. Totally. Gruff escapes into a river, not realizing that it's a river full of deadly piranhas. It's Bad Fish River. Uh, I mean, lucky for him, he's a main character, so yeah. he gets some advantage rolls and shit yeah, like he, that. He barely escapes, and one of the while one of the bloodhounds is skeletonized, the other tracker, Billy the Pup, is still on the case. I mean, there you go. That's all you need to know. Oh yeah, back Someone at the got turned into a skeleton, <laughs> dog skeleton. Back at the city, which we now know is called uh, Sutermunda. Uh, mm. Lishar and Tiger Commander return to settle King Seth's hash, but they find his jailers all hypnotized and King Seth escaped. Seth tries to lay low, but is spotted by some pig UGs that try to kill him, but instead gets psi-blasted. A posse of UGs <sighs> prepares to take down the reptile, but are stopped by a passing predator guard. All of this is happening as T-Bone is getting off the monorail at the uh, at the capital and Seth sort of finds him he mind whammies T-Bone and has the Minotaur put the snake in a sack to take him with him so it's sort of a, a roadblock Cobra Commander kind of situation from the G.I. Joe movie um, T-Bone makes his way to the temporary vats that the Minotaurs have built to deal with all the corpses and you know just semi-dead people from the recent rebellion including a predator that was sentenced to death by Lashar for having a button missing on his uniform Hey, man, look good, feel good. Hey, you know, you gotta have the rags, you know? The yeah. vats remain incredibly horrifying. <laughs> and T-Bone meets with his buddy Spare Rib. It's time to organize these minotaurs against these humans. Next time on Meltdown Man, into the Plague Mire. So awesome. God damn, like... This comic, though, just so a lot good. going on. I loved the frogman that they put in this. Yeah, the uh, the townsfolk that like organized to go after King Seth, and just like actually, just mm. the UG townsfolk in general are, are really fun. Like, there's like a family of pig people. There's like a frog guy. There's some goat guys and stuff. Just sort of like the um, like I'd buy like an 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 art a uh, an art of Meltdown Man that was just kind of like a bunch of like concept drawings oh, of yeah. like all the townspeople and stuff like that. You know. Once again, may the estate of Massimo Bellardinelli <laughs> please contact me. I will buy things. It'd be cool, man. The, this is actually collect like Meltdown Man is collected in addition that I bet has some fun stuff in it. But um, anyhow, man. Speaking of things that are awesome, Fox. Oh, I can't stress it enough. I fucking, I can't. This is like it's the candy just at the end. <laughs> Here we go. Two. Thrill Six, return to Armageddon. Script robot Malkin Shaw, art robot Jesus Redondo, letter robot Bill Noddle. Oh man, return to Armageddon, it's so crazy! Dude, the best is yet to come, and baby, um, won't it be fine. A crewman has died trying to sleep gas those clone devil babies, and <laughs> now the babies themselves have disappeared, and now again the dead crewman has come back to life! So, first oh we got... Oh my god, it's a zombo! First we got space de devils, then we got space zombies. It's not a zombo, Fox, that's a completely different 2000 AD thing, and you'll freak people out. Anyhow... Oh my god. <laughs> Real. Anyway, that's not for like twenty years. Don't worry about it. Just keep coming. No, this ain't John Romero weak ass zombies. You have to disassemble these motherfuckers. Yeah, you you hit these things in the head. All you see is that they don't got brains in their heads anymore. They keep coming. Yeah. <laughs> 
devil and, zombies. And now they're just everybody that's been killed by the by those by those devil kids so far, which is a fair amount of people, <laughs> come to life and are now space zombies. They're all over the ship. They're infecting the whalers and the and the ship guards, and they're just basically unstoppable. There's only so beautiful. one thing ship captain Atlanta Watts can do, and that's jettison the part of the ship with the devils and zombies in it and blast it from space. So one third of like this ship has now jettisoned itself to just be left to die. Yeah, because the ship's basically like a big triangle with like spheres on the points of each triangle, so they've jettisoned one of the spheres. That's so awesome. The jettisoning goes right, but when they try to blast it, the ship's weapons fuse together in one piece and can't fire. So and fuck if someone else is going to walk over and be like, I'll do it, you dingo. Well, they're in deep space. There's no one to do it. Like, their ship's guns are broken. They don't work anymore. Well, I, I just mean the last time somebody decided to try and touch a computer console when it wasn't working, just yeah, died. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Atlanta Watts is like, well, we've done hard part. Like, it's someone else's problems now. Let's get out of here. <laughs> So, soon afterwards, the sphere is found by a bunch of no-good space pirates with names like Havoc and Dogface and Gator and stuff. They sweep the ship and seemingly, and all seems well until they find, like, a huge horde of goddamn space zombies, dude! <laughs> it's a lot of space zombies. Yeah. This whole place is space zombies. Standard zombie fighting stuff happens here. If you've kind of seen zombie movies, you know what it's like when the military guys meet the zombies for the first time and get their ass kicked. It's, it's, it's that stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. Except this time they find two babies. Yeah, well, they escape, and as they're making their escape, they come into a... Into a they pass an open door to a room, crawling with a carpet of disembodied hands, and on the table which, above it are the two devil babies. Which I guess, hey, why not? It's pretty terrifying, but the pirate leader Havoc recalls some kind of prophecy he's heard. The dead will give you two sons. That's what the old woman foretold. Havoc yeah, rushes yeah. out to grab the kids, but is seemingly grabbed in a sea of hands. Oh, fuck, this is not looking great. <laughs> Attacked by the hands, all seems lost for the pirate. But Havoc and Snakebite, who is one of the pirates who has living hair and stuff, sort of struggle living against... Living hair that is snakes. Yeah, living snake hair, that's right. They struggle against the hands, and then they knock over the table with the kids in it, and the hands stop. Havoc grabs the kids, and the hands part for him like the Red Sea in front of him. And the, so do the zombies. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, the blonde kid is crying while the brunette kid is calm. Just FYI. The pirates talk about that prophecy and what's left of them scram from the sphere. Okay, the, and the, then they blow it the fuck up. Yeah, well, they're like, that place is full of zombies, dude. We can't just leave it there. What if a kid finds it? So <laughs> they manage to blow up the sphere as the brunette kid sort of... Sm Actually, basically every time you get to the end of one of these Return to Armageddon strips, just assume that something bad happens and the kid is in the and the, and the brunette kid is in the bottom of the page just sort of smirking about it. Yeah, there's some Damien going on here. I mean, he was literally a demon. He had, like, goat legs and... Wings and stuff, anyhow. <laughs> At the pirate base, Havoc, the pirate leader, sort of flies in with nothing to show for his trip, and he gets challenged for control of the pirate gang. But as this happens, his attackers 
have their eyes instantly burned out. <laughs> Another and one. Sometimes I guess you just have your eyes suddenly burned out. Another one tries to shoot him, but the, his gun explodes in his hands. But it doesn't kill him. He just lies on the ground, writhing in flame. They can't put the flames out, and he won't die. <laughs> Holy crap! <laughs> so hey. Yo. You thought that this was really awesome, and you're like, wow, this has really been ramping up in intensity. What happens next, Conrad? Well, I just want to mention, first of all, that, that the pirates are aware that weird stuff is happening, and that it's related to these, haunted, to these haunted-ass kids that they've found. There's and no, like, oh, what a coincidence, what could be going on? <laughs> One of them's fine with it, the other one's not, but mostly mm-hmm. they're fine. Yeah. Also, I want to say that um, Jesus Redondo drawing all these pirates in their different costumes and settings and stuff, it's really be- its really awesome. Like, the art so, here is fantastic. Exactly. And again, like, I didn't know where this was going. I didn't know that it was going to go full Total Recall. I didn't know how cool everything was about to get. And then, like, so all those pirates are cool. You know what's cooler than that? Then they go see the old woman that gave the prophecy, and oh my god. (laughs) We we start by seeing through the old woman's eyes, which are faceted bug eyes, basically. But then we finally see her. She's enormously fat, like an actual, like not like, oh, that's a fat dude, but like an actual mountain that's like a person. That's, a, that's like a big fat person it's with amazing. like six with like three pairs of wings coming back coming off her back yeah. she's like this giant fat old mount giant giant woman basically it's ridiculous and i guess see the future tell fortune yeah do prophecies She explains that while the blonde baby is just a regular human the brunette baby is the destroyer Dude. With his help, Havoc will get fat and rich, conquer and rule planets, but also bring fire, pestilence, and everlasting torment, the stench of death through the galaxies to infinity. Sick, so he's a necromonger. Apparently for 30,000 years, something called the Triads have fought the Destroyer, but now the old woman is the only one left, and she is dying, while the Destroyer has a whole new life, because he's a damn devil baby. If this is, like, where the Chronicles of Riddick got part of its story, I'd be pretty happy. It's so much from everything. Um, So, Havoc, because he's making good decisions with his life right now, (laughs) decides that all that stuff is lies. Why would I believe this giant space woman about her thing after I've seen all these space zombies and various murders? Instead, he's going to just use some advanced technology to force the Destroyer to grow up faster and become an adult in a matter of hours. What's the worst that could happen? As the Destroyer looks at the camera with a smirk, like, I'm the worst that could happen. Next time on Return to Armageddon, disaster! You don't think. (laughs) Oh, man, that's the progs for this month, Fox. Whoa! Oh, God, it was so good, Conrad. It was just a delicious destructive adventure absolutely so fox what were your top and bottom thrills for this december 1980 i think it's pretty fucking obvious but i'm i'm gonna say this right now um these were all outstanding in Mm -hmm. just kind of their own way um little things here and there are basically not having me pick exactly kind of the the three front 
runners mm-hmm. uh, on the comic side. Um, this basically like the the most thrilling comic that I have seen, and and this continues from last time is just Return to Armageddon. Mm. This thing is fucking amping up to amazing standards. The story is interesting. It just continues to go. It's about devils and space and pirates and now like a mystic woman and they're just going like well off the deep end into interesting territory. It feels fresh and this is what Wolfie Smith should have been. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, man. The thing I love about Return to Armageddon is that there's no way to tell what's going to happen in the next prog from what you read in, no. in, in the in the prog before it, you know. And and it just gets like worse. Like you you're you're watching all of these horrible things happen. And if I was watching a series that was about space horror mm-hmm. and it kept doing this or playing a game of a similar thing, yeah. like this would actually be interesting. But the things, the yeah. Same sort of and the thing Tropes. that's amazing is we've now basically just left like that whole Atlanta Watts and that whole ship. We l- learned all those things, met all those guys, and that's yeah. it. Based pretty much like we're now we're on these space pirates, you know? Hey, they're they're not the main characters. It's right? true. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely makes it a very exciting and just yeah hard to predict story, which is such a you know can be such a fresh can be kind of fresh air in 2000 ad which is always fun but can also kind of be like well i kind of know what's going to happen in these stories you know so what's your bottom thrill for this for this month fox uh this kind of is mirroring last time um it's really it's mean arena Mm -hmm. like i'm i'm i love the story development i love some of the things happening in the world that's there yeah um there is no sports happening Mm. and i I got that same sense of world building. Like I will always compare sports comics to Harlem heroes. Of course, because you're getting some of that development on the court and the other part of the development off the court. And you and I were both complaining in Harlem's in Harlem heroes when they were just kind of traipsing around, walking around, trying to do scoop. Oh yeah. Shit. No, we're we both very, yeah. The Harlem globe trotters hang out with Harlem heroes and solve mysteries. No, no, no. Oh, I, mean, oh, I like, see. Harlem globe trotters and Scooby-Doo. Yeah. I know, I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which, which is a great concept, but an execution is poor. Ah, burn. You're watching the Harlem globe trotters be the Harlem globe trotters. And you're really into basketball. Like that's what, that's what you're doing it for. Yeah. And I like this drama. It's supposed to be taken to the nth degree. So show me the game. Yeah. Get me into that. Get me bought in something like yeah. Mean arena's really letting me down and i don't want it to because it's it's got this cool premise absolutely yeah no i definitely know what you mean it's yeah it's tough man it's so hard like i have this perfect idea of what a sports comic would be in my head and it just seems like there's no way to do it you know <laughs> yeah i i just maybe it's harder than it looks for sure i'm sure it is you know maybe making the the game is sort of difficult but if if a claymation movie about a fox can make up uh, a game that has practical application of rules, uh, that's that's a comedy. Like I'm fairly certain that you could probably just make a game. Like it doesn't even yeah, matter. no, for sure. Give the fuck how they score. Just like explosions and death are a part of it. Great. Yeah, totally. Anyway, so how about you? What was your top and bottom throw? Oh man. Um... Everything you said about Return to Armageddon is, is 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 right. Like I definitely agree with it. Um, it's real fun and it's real like ridiculous and is one of these uh, is another one of these sort of kind of forgotten thrills or just sort of one that's just sort of 
exists in one place and doesn't really have a big continuation that's really worthy of your time if you're interested in these early 2000 AD things. Um, but for me, ugh, I gotta give my top thrill to Abelard Snaz, the uh, the Future Shock. I love that <laughs> oh, yeah, story man. so much. Um, I think it's just really fun. The art's really awesome. It's just this mounting like comedic story of like uh, the science fiction things and stuff. And it's just really one of my favorite things. It's um, it's just kind of a light, like easy to read story that's um, just really does what it sets out to do and does it really perfectly in, in encapsulated space. You know, I mean, you know, Robot Planet works for me. Hey, why not? Um, for my bottom, um, I'm kind of temp. You know, I definitely agree with, with Mean Arena. And your and your points about that for sure, um, but because it was kind of a two, it only had two um, episodes. This frog, I don't know. It's hard to sort of. It, it had some interesting kind of setup things and stuff. I think for me, actually, for my maybe similar reasons, I'm just going to give my my bottom to a meltdown man this month. Yeah, um, meltdown man's fine, but this is a very sort of setup um, month of meltdown man. Like it's very much. Like, all right, like, here's, like, let's, like, let's split up and everybody's sort of on their way to the drama that's as the result of the split up, you know? Like, right. it's sort of two issues of we should split up. Then, <laughs> which is the worst. Which is fine, but, like, you know, the one fight was sort of ended in one panel with Nick Stone's expert uh, 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 snip gunning. <laughs> And yeah. then a little bit of like the tracking and um, T Bone getting to the Capitol and stuff, and all that stuff's good, but it wasn't like great, and it wasn't as good as we've seen Meltdown Man be with just the ridiculousness. Oh, um, absolutely. And you know, I do kind of always feel bad about us just sort of having one whipping boy thrill, even if it's <laughs> even if it's totally borne out by the quality of the thrill, you know. Sure. So I'm just gonna say Meltdown Man this month is just kind of um, uh, mix it up. <laughs> it deserves its licks. I mean, if we're going to have an embarrassment of riches, uh, we need to get a, at least a little bit uh, intense. Yeah, I want to. I want to stress that we're really entering a point in 2000 AD where, like, while there might be some real standouts for top. Like, the field for sort of middle and bottom is very, like, you know, it's tenths of points separating them. Yeah, exactly. And it's just a great place to be, I gotta say. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing, man. Yeah. So, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. You can always find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or on our podcast site at Cradaline.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner 2000 at Gmail or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're Space Spinner 2000. For everything else, look up Space Spinner 2000 and we should be there. Also, you know, drop us a line on the 2080 forums. And hey, if you're feeling super generous, like a nice, nice five star review in the iTunes Store or on Stitcher or Google. Google or just wherever reviews can be made would really make our day. <laughs> Come on, you bum. Just get out there. Give us a little review. Say you like me. I'm cute. Maybe Conrad, he's got something nice. Say, you say, hey, Conrad, you said that nice thing. I really like it. Or, you know, maybe you might want to tell us to, that we forgot something and we suck. But it, you know what? It's review, review. You got your own opinion. 
Whoa, Fox hit, hitting the bottle in the last five minutes of the show. <laughs> Come back next time as Fox and I put a, once again put on our wide lapeled tuxedos for the 1980s spinnies. Oh my God, I can't wait to get on my gold sequence suit with my gold sequence top hat, my gold sequence cane, and my brown shoes. Oh, you bastard. Gotta spice it up. It's our award show year review show as we finish the fourth year, or sorry, as we finish the first year of the 1980s in 2000 AD. We'll talk about our favorite progs, our stories, art, and give out awards for our best of the best. Will your favorite thrill take home the golden frisbee? Tune in and find out. I mean, you know. Exactly. I know. I know the ones that are going to be amazing. Uh-huh. Do you? Mm. Yes, you better show up. Absolutely, yeah. Spinnies. Until next time, I'm Conrad. He's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Spending for a drink! <laughs> <laughs>